0: The Big 12 announced its new schedule and we got some takeaways as well as an interview with Texas Christian head coach, Sonny Dykes. And we got to talk about the history made by Sharon Moore, but more importantly, why they're wrong about what Michigan is going to do in 2024. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, good folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about the Big 12, its schedule release, and how that's going to affect its new teams as well as its old teams. Don't also talk with Texas Christian head coach, Sonny Dykes, about what he learned in 23 and what he plans to change for 24. But first, let's talk about Sharon Moore, who was announced last Friday as the new head coach at the University of Michigan, and this is a tremendously big deal. It's tremendously big deal because it is the first time that the University of Michigan has employed a black man to lead its program, the winningest program in all of college football and the defending national champions. But I think what's really interesting about this is that everybody believed that Sharon Moore was the guy to follow Jim Harbaugh when he decided that he wanted to return to the NFL to coach the Los Angeles Chargers. That's the part of this that I think is jaw-dropping, okay? It's not just that Sharon Moore's the guy, it's that there wasn't anybody in the room that didn't think he should be the guy. At 37 years old, this is his first head coaching opportunity and not a bad meteoric rise for him. Now, Sharon from Derby, Kansas, Played at Butler Community College, ended up transferring to the University of Oklahoma where he played some offensive line, then goes into coaching, right? Stop at Louisville, working for Charlie Strong, stopped Central Michigan, worked for Dan Enos. Dan Enos is getting ready to be the wide receiver coach at Michigan, and he goes to Jim Harbaugh and said, hey, I got this guy that I think you really need to hire. His name is Sharon Moore. And Jim Harbaugh, cool, I need a tight ends coach. Employs Sharon Moore to be his tight ends coach in 2018. And slowly but surely, this bromance, started to really bear fruit. Those two guys, Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh, think about each other like brothers. And I would even say that that part of the discussion needs to be a little bit louder because if Jim Harbaugh did not want to help raise Sharon Moore up, we wouldn't be talking about Sharon Moore as the head coach at the University of Michigan. The point that I'm raising here is you got to want to raise up a guy like Sharon Moore, right? And not for nothing, but Jim Harbaugh followed a black offensive coordinator in Josh Gaddis, who won a Broyles Award, took them to the college football playoff, and helped them win a Big Ten championship, in addition to beating Ohio State. And followed that by elevating another black man to be his offensive coordinator and offensive line coach in Sharon Moore. And then Sharon continued to do what he has done, which has produced one of the best offensive lines in the entire sport. 2021, 2022, you know what it is. He won the Joe Moore Award with those offensive lines in 23. He's got seven guys that could get drafted in April into the NFL draft. That is what he's been able to do for a program that has prided itself on its offensive line play and its ability to be physical at the point of attack with guys like Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards behind. But more than that, Jim Harbaugh was forced to sit out six games of a 15-0 season. And four of those games, he chose to make Sharon Moore the acting interim head coach for the program, and they are not small games, okay? Penn State, on the road, first time. He was emotional after that win, Sharon Moore, a cussing on national television, but you know what? We forgive it because we understand. Comes back, beats Ohio State at Ann Arbor as the acting head coach, right? Also has the good sense to not just get that win against Maryland, but also say, hey, it doesn't mean what it means until we get Jim Harbaugh back in this photo to really get this over, that this is his program. And all the way through the college football playoff, we're looking at Sharon Moore, who is in his bag calling plays. Like for an offensive line coach to be calling some of the, let's call it gadget plays that Sharon Moore would pull out, I gotta tip my cap on that one, man, because I didn't think he was gonna have that in the bag. Even when I'm like, hey, time, this ain't the time to get cute, hand the ball to Corum and do what it do. But it worked out, right? They go 15 and 0, and at a point that could have really changed the trajectory of the Michigan program if. Ward Manuel and Santa Ono had decided to go a different way. They chose to employ this man to be their guy. I'm going to talk about this in a way that I think you find familiar if you've been following me or you have watched this show for any length of time. But to look at me, yes, I am a black man, right? I also have written two books that are about black experience, one about me becoming an NRA pistol instructor, another about 100 years after the Tulsa race massacre. These are extremely important topics for me and my birthright. My grandmother, Peggy Jean Connors, sued the state of Mississippi for voting rights reapportionment in 1968, okay? Uh, I'm descended from civil rights royalty. So when I look at the landscape of college football and I see that 56% of players are black, and I see that there are just been 40 black head coaches since 1981 I'm going to choose to point out that Sharon Moore being the first man to be black and be head coach at Michigan is not unlike any other pioneer that you know about. Jackie Robinson, Barack Obama, the list goes on. It matters. It matters because pioneers are pioneers for a reason. And I understand that many of you don't want to talk about this being a big deal, but we have to, because race is a part of life, especially in this country, which is born out of slavery, and fought its way through the Civil War and has slowly but surely continued to make progress toward how we view black Americans. And at this time, when 13% of the country is black and 7% are black and male, to look at 56% of the labor force of college football and not see that many black head coaches, you're gonna really have to point at it. But I'm also gonna point this out. With Michigan doing this, they also have their first black head coach before say Alabama, LSU, Ohio State. And we gotta take it back to Wichita State, Willie Jeffries, when he became the first Division 1A head coach to be black. And then we got to take it back to Denny Green at Northwestern, 1981, right? The first year that I can remember it being significant that a black man was head coach, Ty Willingham, Notre Dame. That will always be such a big deal to me and to my family in particular, because we never really thought of Notre Dame as being on the program. And then not only did Tyre Willingham show up, but we were going, hey dog, you can't, you can't fail at this. This, this is the big one. We we can't have you. What do you do? He won 10 games. You know, people forget that part. And Sharon Moore is in a position to do just that. 4-0 as an interim, but now the interim tag is gone. 2024 belongs to him and he's up against it. I don't think people realize how difficult this job is about to get for him. Because while he was raised to do the job by Jim Harbaugh. Remember, Jim Harbaugh took this job in 2015 and didn't get it going in the right direction for six years, right? And that was a man who had had tremendous success at Stanford, tremendous success with San Francisco 49ers, okay? It is also doing it without many of the pieces that Sharon Moore came comfortable with when we're talking about what it means to be a head coach. Like Jesse Minter is probably headed to the Chargers, right? Ben Herbert is headed to the Chargers. You're going to have to raise up new strength and conditioning coordinator. You have to rely on another defensive coordinator as your play caller while you have to navigate being the head coach and whether or not you're going to have a heavy hand the offensive line, whether or not you're going to have a heavy hand in play calling, right? But with Jim Harbaugh, you got to see, he could navigate all of that. Not unlike Nick Saban, he could turn over the offensive coordinator. He could turn over the defensive coordinator. He could keep what was working for him and stay in his strength of being the one-of-a-kind man that he is, and Sharon's gonna have to do that. He's going to have to really rely on his family and really rely on that program to help carry him at these times when he's still learning the job. And I'm saying that as the guy who is looking at him going, hey, he loves it at Michigan. He even said, as a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, he hopes that by the time his time is done at Michigan, they think of him as a Michigan man, right? I get all of that, I understand, right? I also understand that you want to talk about football, but it is difficult to talk about football without recognizing just how big football is in our lives. The NFL is what we are built around. College football feeds into the NFL. We talk about what it means to have black folks at these positions of influence and power, so much so that the NFL has its own rules saying you gotta interview a minority head coach candidate anytime you got an opening because that's how hard it's been for black men and men of color to break in at these management positions and why we continue to say, hey, this is a tremendously big deal. But the last thing I wanna point out here is that Jim Harbaugh has quietly done this twice at two major Power Five programs. You'll remember that when he left Stanford, he left it in the hands of David Shaw, who by the way, was pretty damn good as head coach at Stanford Cardinal, right? Director of football, excuse me, right? And now he's done it again with a man that's a year older than me, who's got the same background as I do, who grew up two and a half hours away from where I grew up, who went to undergrad where I went to graduate school. And he's decided, no, no, Sharon Moore is not only worth it, he is one of the best men that I've ever been around, one of the best coaches that I've ever been around, and I'm proud to have him be my interim and have him follow and succeed me at the program where I played college football, where I brought the program to its first national championship in 26 years, at a program that hadn't had a black man lead it until Sharon Moore was named to that job last Friday. Also, quiet as it is kept, University of Michigan, got a black athletic director and a black head coach, all right? Find those, right? Off top of my head, I'm looking at Maryland, about it, right? I think these things are going to show themselves to be really beneficial to the University of Michigan when we talk about what they're looking for and how they're going to recruit, because this stuff matters. Matters to me, matters inside these communities, and if you are going to be about diversity and inclusion, this is what you're going to have to do. This is what it looks like. It means picking someone that doesn't look like you, man, woman, blue, black, red, green, or orange, and deciding, no, 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 I'm going to help you. As long as you want to learn, I will teach you. And as I am mentoring you and as you are learning, you will become a reflection of me and my values. And I got to tell you, man, I have never been more proud of Jim Harbaugh than I was when I saw him throw his entire weight behind this man who had done little to nothing until he got to Michigan as a, as a uh, tight end coach. And he has quietly, surely become one of the better football coaches that we got in the sport. That's tremendous, that's tremendous. All right, let's go from talking about the history made by the University of Michigan to some more history that's being made really of the football variety and that we got a new Big 12 and we got a new Big 12 schedule with all the fixings. Now, Texas and Oklahoma, they went bye-bye, they're in the SEC, they gonna get the full dose on that. Lord help me about my Oklahoma Sooners in the SEC. But in the Big 12, It feels like it's wide the hell open. Like, I remember looking at this schedule and I'm talking to producer Tyler about it. I'm going, Doc, I don't know who's got a sure path to playing the Big 12 title game, but I can't rule anybody out either. And now we're going to get some marquee games on the schedule because our sport has its head coaches as stars, right? One of the reasons that I was really heaping it on about Sharon Moore, because our head coaches matter. And the first one that I circled was Oklahoma State at Colorado on November 30th, end of the season. Two of the biggest personalities in the sport, in the conference, playing against each other. That'd be Mike Gundy and Deion Sanders. Two men that have never been afraid of any microphone and have never been afraid to tell you what they think about any situation on earth, okay? I can't wait to see the war words between those guys. Mike Gundy, who got up on the days of Big 12 when a penultimate year... For Oklahoma, Texas, be like, I don't even know why we let them in our meetings. Why why do why are they here? They they left. Why are they allowed in this building? Meanwhile, you got Deion Sanders taking the Zoom onto Undisputed, talking about, hey, I expect us to play in the college football playoff this year. It's got 12 teams. I don't understand why we can't be one of those teams. This is after going four and eight and going into this new conference where you're going to be joined by the likes of Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. I am very curious to see if that game matters toward who's going to play in the conference championship in 2024. Now, Oklahoma State's got every reason to believe they ought to be there. But it's going to be tough for them. Like, their schedule is ridiculous. They, along with Colorado and Arizona State, got a gauntlet run where they're going to get to show everybody what they are about. The worst team on Colorado's schedule is Scott uh, Satterfield's Cincinnati in year two, right? They got North Dakota State, Colorado State, Nebraska for their non-conference, then they got to go play in this new Big 12. Look at Arizona State, same thing is true. Wyoming won nine games last year. Mississippi State's got Jeff Levy as its head coach. And Texas State, led by G.J. Kinney, that dude just hired Chad Morris to help him out. Like, they got some things going on for them that they got to sort through, not the least of which is who their starting quarterback is going to be. But remember, Arizona State had Washington on the ropes last year with a depleted roster. Kenny Dillingham might have something or uh, uh, in his – excuse me, because it might have something to show in this first year in the big 12. And then again, I'm looking back at Oklahoma state and goodness me, South Dakota state, Arkansas and Tulsa, South Dakota state. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but they kind of run in the FCS right about now, right? Arkansas, Sam Pittman is going to be up against it this year. And they going Hey, you can't afford to take no losses to Oklahoma state. That, that ain't going, that ain't going to do well if Fayetteville and then university of Tulsa. We'll see, right? We'll see. I, 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 Curious to see what Kevin Wilson looks like in year two. Also, my nephew Owen Ostrowski is going into an upperclassman year where I expect him to have a breakout year, but we'll see. I'm curious, looking at the schedule, right? Looking at the Friday-Saturday games, looking at Kansas, what they've been able to do in the past. They won nine games last year. They got UNLV back on the schedule this year. I'm curious about which one of these teams is going to be here at the end and how many of them are teams that we already know about. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Christian— But then, given what Brent Brennan has meant for San Jose State, he's got Noah Fafita coming back. Does Arizona have something that they can show? I mentioned what Arizona State has. We all know what Kyle Willingham is going to have with Cam Rising returning, but I got to point this out. I thought about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. So, Brett Yormark in the Big 12 did us a favor. Why? Because they got the seventh-year quarterback at Oklahoma State, and Alan Bowman. Matched up against the seventh-year quarterback, Utah, in Cam Rising. And they're going to be playing for what I'm calling the Wooderson Award. I get older. They stay the same age. I find that fascinating because both of those guys are players. Like, they they can sling it. But also, seventh-year quarterbacks? Like, it, it almost feels like we are we are taking this just a little too far. I get the jokes, and I understand why we are making the jokes. But it's Man. And Alan Bowman has since gone from Texas Tech to getting an NBA from Michigan to Oklahoma State. Cam Rising got to take last year off. Come back. Be welcome with open arms to be the starting quarterback, or we should say the presumptive starting quarterback for Utah as it embarks on this new age in the Big 12. And also, you know, Utah gets to host BYU this year as a conference foe. This is going to be all over the map when we're talking about who's going to win what. But what we are going to know is. The conference champion is going to be good because all these teams are good. What we don't know is can this conference champion compete for a national championship? That part remains to be seen, especially given what we know: the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be. To say nothing of, we got Texas Christian and Stanford opening on August 30th, which means we got the Big 12 versus the ACC. Again, 2024, you wild boy. I'm already here for it. I'm live and direct with it. Speaking of live and direct, let us talk with Texas Christian head coach Sonny Dykes about what he thinks of the Big 12 and its schedule and what he hopes for the Horned Frogs in 2024. I'm pleased to be joined by TCU head coach Sonny Dykes. Coach, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Excited to be on. How are you?
0: I'm good, coach. I'm excited about 2024 as we're going to embark on a new Big 12. But I want to start by talking about 23. It was a letdown year for you all coming off of national title runner-up finish. What did you learn from that 23 season, and how are you going to use that to try to help you in 24?
1: Well, we we learned that we lost a lot of good players off the 22 team. Uh, a lot of guys that you know were highly productive for us. Um, you know, uh, if you look at the 22 team, we had a lot of returning. Uh, production coming back, lost a a good bit of that. Um, You know, had a lot of juniors that declared early for the draft as well. Some guys that we thought would probably be back and uh, that moved on. And so, you know, uh, it uh, gutted our roster pretty good. And then, you know, we just didn't do a great job coaching though. didn't do a great job playing. I think we thought there'd be a little more carryover probably from the year before than there was just, you know, playing 15 games and playing for a national championship, you know, you kind of think that, that there might be some carryover. But the one thing that's that's different about college football in this day and age is, you know, you lose so much of your team, you know, about half of our players moved on from that squad. And so it, it's starting over every single year. And I think it's important to understand that as as we move forward. And, you know, I think we're determined uh, to to certainly improve on on our squad we had last year. And I think we're excited and optimistic we're going to be able to do that.
0: No kidding about starting over, coach, because we've never been in this era of college football where you can have so much turnover your roster and your coaching staff and then still be expected to compete. I noticed you got 19 guys that are incoming as transfers. You had a few transfers on that 2022 team that helped you go 13-2. and What do you got excited about with this 24 class and those transfers you got coming in?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is it creates competition. You know, I think for us... We needed, we needed to replace some experience, uh, some guys that we've lost really over the last two seasons. And so, you know, the number one goal for us was let's go out and, and recruit guys in the transfer portal that have played. You know, guys that have been in college football games, have been successful, have played high at whatever level that they're coming from. You know, and we have guys from all different kinds of programs and, and all different kinds of levels of football. But the one thing, again, they all have in common is they've all played football and they've all been productive. They've all been good players. They've all been able to produce at the schools that they were at in the past. And I think that's a big thing. You know, they were able to learn. They were able to, to avoid injuries. They were able to do all the things that you have to do to become a productive player. And so we added all that experience to our team. We also added a lot of athleticism. And I think we created a lot of competition. And the big emphasis for us was really on the on the offensive line. You know, we needed to get uh, more experienced up front. We needed to get more bodies. And we're excited about about the group we have coming in.
0: One of the things I noticed is uh, Steve Avila was a dude in 22 and you get to see what that means across college football as we're getting into the meat of the schedules. And when we get into conference play, I'm curious though, coach, you know, knowing the emphasis being on offensive line and knowing that you'd want to have some competition. How do you feel about this new big 12 where it feels like it's as thick as it's ever been top to bottom? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the parity in the league is what I'm excited about. I mean, you look you look across the league and you say that there's uh, conceivably six, eight teams that, compete, uh, that can compete for a conference title. And I think that's what makes this league so great. That's what makes it great in basketball. That's what makes the, the league great in baseball. That's what's going to make it great in football is just the parity uh, that we have. You know, there's every week it's a big game. You know, when you go and you play on the road, it's going to be tough games. It's going to be tough to beat these these big 12 teams on the road in some hostile environments. And then you have to win your home games. I mean, I think that's the one thing that, that you know, comes into play. You got to win at home and you got to play well week after week. You can't afford to, to have a bad game or two. If you do, you're going to look up and you're going to get a loss. And so it's a challenging schedule. As I said, there's no layups on the schedule. And so we're, you know, we're, uh, we know we have to do a great job preparing, getting our guys ready to go play at their very best every week.
0: I gotta believe when you looked at the schedule, you had to call up uh Brett Yormark and be like, where's Colorado? We we need that game on the schedule <laughs> this year, right now. Uh, given what that game meant, especially for Colorado, but also for the sport and how dramatic it was, did you see any fall off or drawbacks to having played that game to start the season last year?
1: You know, not really. I mean, we opened with those guys the year before in 2022 and and went to Boulder and won a game there. And, you know bottom line is we didn't play probably as well as we should have. And they came in and played lights out. You know, they really played well early in the season. I think, um, you know, we weren't quite sure exactly who we were going to see and where we were going to see them. Um, and I think it took teams a little bit of time to get adjusted to, to Colorado. And I think once they did, they fared better than they did early. I mean, we, we you know, we didn't play well. We certainly didn't play well defensively you know, we had a chance to win the game at the end of the game on offense. And we could, have, if we could have strung a, a drive together, you know, could have tied it and sent it to overtime or, or won the game potentially. We just weren't able to do it. And if you go and look at our season last year, we lost four, four, one score games. And, um, and you know, the difference in 2022 and 2023 was our ability, our ability to win those one score games in 22, we were seven and one in those games. And last year we were 0 and four. And so I think in some ways we probably weren't as far off as as we as it looks like you know last year, but we didn't do what it took to win, and and a big part of that was some uh, some inexperience in some key spots. But again, the great thing is those guys are coming back and and they'll play better this year.
0: One of the things that I've always been interested in is who your starting quarterback is going to be, because one way or another that guy's going to influence the season. You mentioned going down to Boulder and getting the win, Chandler Morris being a big part of that, Max Duggan being perhaps the greatest quarterback in Texas Christian history. And now I'm looking at a guy that I really love that joined the 24 class in Haas Haney. I wonder, does he have a shot to start for you against Stanford on that Friday night, August 30th?
1: Yeah, I mean, we think so. I mean, with Josh Hoover's coming back who played for us last year as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman Mm -hmm. and played really well. Um, We were very optimistic about, about Josh and, and, you know, the growth that he went through last year. But yeah, the one thing that we're always going to do, we're always going to play the best players. And so, you know, we're lucky. We were able to go out and sign a, a local kid, Haas Haney, uh, from Alito High School, he had tremendous success. He's a great athlete. He's kind of the model that we're looking for at the quarterback position in terms of his ability to to run the football, throw the football, and obviously lead his team. Um, and so we're excited about him. We also added Ken Seals, who's a transfer from from Vanderbilt. It's got twenty two SEC starts as well. So we needed to find uh, some experience at that position. Uh, but but we're excited about that quarterback room between those three guys. You know, we're confident that we're going to find a quarterback that, you know, can give us a chance to win a Big 12 championship.
0: I wonder how much this is going to settle down to your defense coordinator, Andy Avalos, going, hey, that guy gives me a hard time. Maybe that should be the starter. But given that Andy's one hell of a defensive coach. I mean, thinking about what he did at Oregon, let alone what he did at Boise State, I understand the appeal. But what does he add to Texas Christian that made him the guy for you?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, I wanted somebody to be the head coach of the defense. You know, I wanted him to have a plan. I wanted him to to have a, a plan when it came to scheme, how he was going to handle players, recruiting, you know, the whole thing. And, and Andy's obviously been around very successful programs, you know, playing for Chris Peterson and coaching for him at Boise. Um, you know, he really learned from one of the best in the game. I got a tremendous respect for Chris. And then, you know, going on to Oregon, having the success he had at Oregon and then, you know, being the head coach at at Boise as well, you know, he was the mountain West coach of the year in 2022. So he's a guy that's had success at at every level, every place he's ever been in the past. Um, You know, he brings that head coaching experience. He has a, he sees it, sees the defense from a head coaching perspective, which I think is very important as well. Um, Lots of experience, you know, and he's uh, highly organized, highly motivated. Um, I'm really excited about him. He's a guy that I've watched his career, uh, through the years and really admired the way he um, he went about doing things and the success that he's had. And so we were very fortunate, um, you know, to have a chance to to get him hired up.
0: I'm curious to see him in this Texas footprint, because I, I always tell folks, being from Tulsa, Oklahoma, respect the hell out of high school football in the state of Texas. Even though you're coming up to Muskogee to get one of my guys in the 24 <laughs> class, I appreciate that, Coach. Yeah. Uh, question I had for you, though, was, knowing that Andy has had this background of sending guys after the quarterback, do you think that's going to play to your benefit offensively when we talk about playing complimentary football, as opposed to a read and react sort of three, three, five.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that was the biggest thing uh, change that we felt like we needed to make was we needed to be a little bit more aggressive defensively felt like we were sitting back a little too much and, you know, playing with that four down scheme. I think it it allows us to go out and recruit elite level pass rushers, Mm -hmm. you know, and guys that could really get after the quarterback and, you know, if you look around football, pressure in the quarterback is one of the most important things. You know, the teams that win are the teams that get after the quarterbacks and they create turnovers and, and put the quarterback in duress. And we didn't do a good job of doing that last year. You know, we didn't create a lot of turnovers. I didn't felt like we... Uh, you know, we, we put too much, enough pressure on the quarterback. And so that's something that's obviously going to be a big deal for us moving forward. Something that we're going to prioritize this spring is, is getting after the quarterback. And then anytime you're doing that defensively, it's good for you offensively to, to have to face that scheme and all the different blitzes and guys coming from different places and new blitz angles and, and all the things that are a little bit different going to a four down as opposed to a three down.
0: There's no Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 for the first time this year. I wonder how much of that discourse you've had to encounter in as far as what your fans expect from Texas Christian football going forward in the Big 12.
1: Well, I, I think our fans feel like probably three or four other schools' fans feel like you know that the the Big Twelve is open now. You know that that again Oklahoma, I think, won sixteen out of twenty Big Twelve championships at one point, and and um, and so they had pretty much dominated the Big Twelve for a long time, and then obviously Texas had had some good teams in there as well. And so you know when you sit down, and you look at it, and you say, well, it's the Big Twelve is is wide open. And if you look in the last three years, there's been six different teams playing the conference championship game. And so the league has a lot of parody. Uh, there's a lot of teams that, that, you know, feel like that the, they're ready to compete and take over that. Um, you know, that mantle is the top team in the big 12. And we certainly feel like we're one of those teams.
0: I wonder given what it took for you to get to the college football playoff in 22, how do you feel about this new 12 team format that we're going to in 24?
1: Well, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I really do. I think that uh, you want to reward the conference champions, and I think that's uh, that's the way to do that is by is by giving those four teams buys. I, I think you know that's a good way to do it. And then I think I, I like the idea of of the higher rated teams uh, hosting a game as well. I think that's going to provide a great opportunity for for college football to to get an extra game at home. I think that's going to be really a, a great thing. And then it, it just creates more interest in the game. There's going to be more teams that. That are, that are vying for those twelve spots, than there have been in the past. I think that, you know, a fourteen playoff, um, you know, you look at it historically, and it's, it's featured a lot of teams from certain conferences. And I think that this year there'll be a whole new, uh, whole new uh, stable of teams that that feel like that they can get there. And and I think that creates added interest and added following. And anytime that happens, that's a positive thing for college football.
0: My last one for you, Coach. We're heading up to National Signing Day in February. And again, I got to make reference to all the uh, Texas high school football players that you continue to put through your program. What is it about Texas high school football that makes it so appetizing, not just to Texas universities, but to the nation at all?
1: Well, it's it's, high school football in the state of Texas is important. I mean, it really is. It's part of the fabric of of these communities. Um, You know, the Friday Night Lights and and the ability for these communities to come together on Friday and, and support Uh, their high school team i think is unique i mean it's just it's a something that has been special in texas for a long time as i said it's it's important to to these communities for their identity um there's tremendous uh, resources that uh, these football players have that the coaching in the state of texas is the best there is um you know the high school coaches association in texas is is uh, does an unbelievable job of of doing everything they can to take care of these young men and you know, we have fantastic stadiums, fantastic facilities. We have commitment uh, to to hiring outstanding coaches in the state. And and again, football is just important. And so when you, when you add all that up, you get the best state, I think, for, for high school football in the country. And, and we're proud to be right in the middle of it here in DFW.
0: I am excited about Texas Christian football. I'm excited about Texas high school football. And I'm very much enjoyed my time with you, Sonny Dykes, head coach at TCU. Thank you so much for joining us here on the number one college football show.
1: No, I appreciate you having me. It's always good to catch up with you guys. and can't wait uh, can't wait to start spring football. It's just right around the corner.
0: I love being able to catch up with Coach Dykes. As you can understand, the man is verbose and he is curious and he is engaging. My thanks once again to him for joining us here on the number one college football show. And that's going to do it for tonight's live episode of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torrin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Jim Cunningham put the special... In our special team, social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Gabe Sable is sending in the signals. Senior producer Catherine Cordage sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline, and the play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all on Thursday. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces.